is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome in, everybody, to the start of the regular season. 2023 kicked off last week with a soft opening for college football. But here we are, week number one, and a full slate in store. That includes the Baylor Bears returning to the field and more specifically returning on Saturday evening at 6 o'clock to take on and host Texas State. Uh, so game number one is now in our sights after a long offseason with many changes and tons of storylines. We now actually have some more meaty things to talk about and not so much, uh, well, I guess there will still be speculation, but a lot of other facts to go off of now and results to discuss. And I, for one, am relieved and also very fired up about that. Welcome in, everybody, to the BearCast and as we start with game weeks, a little bit of an earlier start time for those of us who listen on the app, uh, you know, or catch us the podcast later on, not much is going to change for you. But for those of you who may have been watching us live on YouTube the past few weeks, uh, we're starting a little bit earlier now on Tuesdays uh, during the season. It'll be around 1115 Central Time. Every Tuesday, we'll be here with you for a live edition of the BearCast. And of course, you can always catch us after the fact, as I mentioned, via your favorite podcast app. Uh, and YouTube and all the rest. But Craig Smoke with you, joined as always by Grayson Grudhafer. Also got Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well, and hope you are having a good one, and uh, hopefully you are as pumped up as I am about the fact that we have arrived at this point. Grayson, it is a game week, and couldn't have come at a better time. I don't know how much longer most of us could have waited at this point uh, to see some football and uh, just fired up to uh, to have something uh, to look forward to this Saturday. How about you? Absolutely. I mean, I've been thinking about this matchup kind of all week uh, to start this week and really all off season, right? Just the simple fact that the season's finally going to start, and uh, it's always very intriguing. You get an opportunity to see this first matchup and kind of get a, a decent indicator of what Baylor's going to look like throughout the year, which will be a lot of fun. But again, you know, when you look at last year's performance against Texas State and then you look at the year before, it's really funny how, you know, Baylor played so much better in last year's performance compared to the first one, and then they were way better in 2021 compared to 2022. So it all comes back to how much are we actually going to learn from this matchup? I'm not sure that uh, we're going to be able to answer that, but I think in general, it's it's just an exciting time to get that first week going. Yeah, I don't think uh, this will tell us everything. Just like I don't think week one will tell the tale or week zero will have told the tale for all the teams that partook uh, last weekend. Um, you know, Notre Dame looked good, but, you know, there's still far more to learn about them as they play more opponents. And I think that'll be the case with Baylor as well. But I got to tell you, this is not just some team you're just going to shove to the side like the school bully and just move on from. Uh, there are some things about this Texas State team that, you know, don't put you on upset watch necessarily, but do make you a little bit nervous, especially when you look at their strengths versus Baylor's perceived weaknesses. And so we can get into that as we go along the day. Uh, we will talk Dave Aranda's opening press conference uh, that took place on Monday morning. Also get into the first depth chart release. And I honestly don't know how much the depth chart each week is going to be a huge talking point because I don't really think this is the most transparent exercise in the world. But there are some things to note, at least in this first one. And uh, we'll also get into just what to look out for 
from Texas State and from Baylor this weekend. And we'll close out with uh, some predictions on the Big 12, of which I've already told Grayson we'll have to be mindful of time because, I mean, honestly, there's 14 teams now, and so that means, at least in these first couple weeks, a lot of games, and we're not going to spend an hour you know, unpacking every Big 12 matchup, but we will have a little roundup there at the end of this broadcast uh, to touch on all of the new Big 12 and the games coming your way here in week number one. But uh, let's start here, Garrett. Uh, Garrett, well, and uh, and Grayson as well. Uh, Dave Aranda with his opening press conference yesterday. Good to see him back at the podium. Touched on a lot of familiar offseason topics like Blake Shapin and the transfers they brought in and uh, also touched on some of the, you know, upcoming challenges from Texas State and what kind of problems uh, the Bobcats will present. Uh, before we dive into some of those you know, specifics like G.J. Kinney and that offense, uh, what sort of stood out to you, I guess, from uh, the depth chart release and the fact that we got our first eyes on that? As though I said, it's not going to be like we get every single up-to-the-minute update with that thing, but it does give us a good idea and a good starting point here, at least in week number one. I mean, I think based on kind of the way this unfolded, we pretty much got almost the entire depth chart right last week when we talked about it. There's a few things here and there that I I see on the depth chart. I don't necessarily believe that that's how it's going to play out through the entire year. Um, like Kyler Jordan has been awesome in fall camp, you know, a leader, um, a young leader, honestly, for this group and a guy who I do think can be really, really good at Baylor, but... He's listed as the starter uh, by himself, and I just I you know I find that hard to believe that he's going to be the starter all year over Garmin Randolph and Byron Vaughns. I do think you're going to see a lot of rotation with that group, uh, but I do think ultimately Randolph and Vaughns are probably going to play the most snaps when you you know move forward in the season. Uh, outside of that, you know, if you look at the starters, I mean. There's not really a lot to hit on outside of that. We pretty much talked about everything else. I mean, if you want to mention Jonah Burton. Well, let's roll through it like this way. You, you can just stop it? me, okay. and that way we'll kind of kind of just get through it. Blake Shapin, your starting quarterback, no surprise there. Uh, Richard Reese and Dominic Richardson. I think a little bit too much conversation about who's the starter versus, like, I mean, it's both guys. I mean, and Dave Aranda made that clear yesterday when asked, like, who's the starter? And he's like, well, it's two guys are basically going to be the starters, and um, you know, they'll lift each other up and they'll, when one's down, the other will hopefully thrive and vice versa. And hopefully there's some times where it's a true two headed monster as he, uh, you know, put it, but yeah, I mean, that's not a surprise. Reese and Richardson, both listed as starters, uh, tight end. You've got Drake Dabney listed as a starter, uh, wide receivers. You've got, uh, on one side, um, you know, Keetron Jackson, uh, you've also got Monterey Baldwin, uh, and you've got, uh, Josh Cameron and Hal Presley listed as oars as well, as far as the wide receiver position goes. So Keetron, no surprise there. Monterey Baldwin, no surprise there. Um, but Jonah Burton listed is, is notable, I should say. And then Cameron and Presley, anything to note about those two being listed as oars when it comes to the wideouts, obviously separating them by their specific positions. So quickly on the running backs, I think we've spent too much time talking about the third or fourth running back this offseason. And I do think that it's pretty much, they're going to rely on Reese and Richardson a ton. I do think they want it to be more similar to 2021 than 2022, which we have talked about. 
I think they want these two guys to get the lion's shares of the carries, and then you'll see Pendergrass, Washington mix in. I do think it's notable that Jordan Jenkins is not in the two deep when you got four names mentioned, including two true freshmen. So something to pay attention to there, I feel like. Um, At the wide receiver position, Cameron and Presley have been battling all fall, so this is not a surprise to me, and I think both are going to play a lot. So I don't think it necessarily matters who's listed as the starter there. Both should play a ton. Now, the Jonah Burton one is interesting because I don't see him taking Monterey Baldwin off the field at all. And he's listed ahead of Jordan Neighbors, and I do think that's probably going to be a game one and game two type thing. I don't think that's going to be a full season type thing uh, there. You know, maybe we'll see how long that lasts, but I, I do think eventually neighbors is going to get the second string reps there. And I think by the end of the year, we're going to see neighbors get far more opportunities than Jonah Burton, but it is notable that he is listed as a co-starter at the moment. So there's the uh, wide receivers. Um, also tied in. I mentioned Drake Dabney. Um, and then going to the offensive line, you've got uh, from left to right, Campbell Barrington at left tackle, Gavin Byers at left guard, Clark Barrington at center, Caden Soraki at right guard, and then Elijah Ellis and Tate Williams listed as or when it comes to right tackle. So uh, that's pretty much as expected. Um, and we know that there's been a battle going on there uh, at right tackle. So um any thoughts on O-line or we'd like to move to defense here? So it confirms two things. Gavin Byers won this job basically in the spring. He's been the starter there for a really long time, which honestly wasn't everyone's expectation. So he ends up locking that position down. Great to see that as he's a senior. It's nice to have that leadership and experience uh, starting. The other thing that I'll note is Caden Siraki clearly is fitting in better at right guard than right tackle, and he kind of just ran with that job, which is key because Tate Williams was the right guard in the spring. And then we saw that shift just a few weeks ago that Tate was getting opportunities at right tackle. And so now it flips from Caden Siraki versus Elijah Ellis to Elijah Ellis versus Tate Williams for that final starting spot. But in general, I feel really good about those three um, and the coaching staff to pick the right two to start. But I think you'll see all three in this first game get a lot of snaps. So there was the offense. Not much in the way of of major surprises, I guess you could say. Uh, Some of the bigger, I guess, notables would be Jonah Burton being listed there at one of the wide receiver spots as an oar along with Monterey Baldwin. Uh, as you just explained, the offensive line sort of shaking out these last few weeks. Um, and everything else is pretty much as is. Uh, and I do think you're right as far as the running backs go. I think it was made pretty clear that it's Reese and Richardson. And then, you know, whatever we see after that will be uh, more of a luxury. And, you know, especially if we start getting into like the fourth and fifth running backs. But um, I think all that's pretty, pretty, um, you know, Plain and clear, if you've been following this team, there's not a lot of shockers here on this first offensive depth chart. Over on defense, you've got uh, uh, TJ Franklin, man the field and spot. You've got uh, Cooper Lands or Trevin Maye, the newcomer from Oregon, at the nose tackle spot. And at the other end, you've got Gabe Hall uh, listed as the starters there. Um, Jack position, Kyler Jordan is who you mentioned. And um, then you've got... uh, well, him as the starter, as the redshirt freshman, and then that's where you also see Carmen Randolph and Byron Vaughns, and so that's just very interesting that he's listed there uh, as a starter. Weak side linebacker, your will. You got Mike Smith, no surprise. He's had a huge offseason ever since arriving. And then uh, in the middle, Matt Jones listed as the starter there as well. 
And just stop me when you want to yeah. stop. So just a few notable things there. I mean, you mentioned, you know, redshirt freshman Collar Jordan ahead of two fifth-year seniors in Carmen Randolph and Byron Vaughns. That's fascinating. I don't think it's going to shake out that way for the entire year, but I do think all four of those guys, including Tony and Yanwu, will get snaps this year. Uh, that position seems to be pretty deep. I do want to mention Justin Sambu is backing up Gabe Hall, which is something that I mentioned throughout the fall once he arrived. Um that's the position that he's going to be playing this year. And I just think it's notable because he came in and people didn't know if he'd be backing up TJ Franklin or Gabe Hall. So we get final confirmation on that. And then, of course, at nose tackle, no Jarrell Boykins on the initial depth chart. Uh, he's still not going to be back this week, but there's a chance he could be back for Utah, as Dave Aranda mentioned. So waiting for that as he came in as the guy who they were expecting to be their nose tackle for the 2023 season. All right, in the secondary, you got uh, star Bryson Jackson and Corey Gordon listed as or or co-starters there. At corner, you've got Tevin Williams and Chateau Reed listed as your starters. And then uh, you've got Devin Lemire and Devin Bobby as your starting safeties. So there's the defense, Jackson and or, or Jackson or Gordon uh, at star. But then uh, Williams, Lemire, Bobby, and Reed, your secondary setup. So... Um, there you go, and those guys will be challenged right out of the freaking gates, man. You have concerns about the secondary. You have wonders about the secondary. It's not going to take us long to see a few things about this secondary on Saturday as we will get to um, anything on the defense before we move on here. Yeah, secondary was chalk. I mean, this is exactly what we said it would be. Still waiting on figuring out, you know, a Johnny Carter situation when he's going to arrive. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is what we expected. This is what we said going into it, so it makes a lot of sense. Do you want to mention one quick thing? Josh White is playing the will now. He was playing the mic for a large portion of camp so he's backing up Mike Smith and no Carmelo Jones listed at the linebacker position which is rather interesting because he played really well in the spring so outside of that though you got two freshmen listed as backing up at the cornerback position Caden Jenkins and Carl Williams so keep an eye on those two guys as well but in general yeah the the secondary is kind of what we expected so there is your depth chart uh, in special teams Isaiah Hankins and Jack Stone listed as oars uh, for Field goals and kickoffs. Uh, Palmer Williams, your punter. Um, so that's how the kicking setup will be. And then, you know, numbers of guys listed at returners. Um, Corey Gordon, Richard Reese, Tayshawn Wilson, Dawson Pendergrass. Uh, look at kick returns. Jonah Burton as well. Punt returns. Josh Cameron, Monterey Baldwin, Armani Winfield, Jonah Burton, so on and so forth. Uh, Garrison Grimes, your long snapper. And then your holder, Palmer Williamson, Williams, excuse me, and then Sawyer Robertson will also be in on some of that. So there's there's some of your special teams as well. But there's the depth chart for week number one. Um, and just a quick look at how that shook out. And, again, it might not be exactly this way when they line up on Saturday. There are, you know, not so much gamesmanship this first time, but more with your own roster as opposed to, like, the opposing head coach. There might be a message being sent here. Or there might be, um, you know um, – a suspension that leads to a guy being listed or not listed, or there might be an injury that we don't know about that leads to a guy being listed or not listed where you expect. So there's some of those things that, uh, you know, are yet to be discovered or that we'll learn about along the way. But here's your first glance, and, um, yeah, not too far off from what was sort of originally predicted. So a nice base to go off of, and uh, that leads us into, you know, Aranda and what he had to say on Monday. And, um, you know, as we mentioned, he covered a lot of bases, um, whether it be some of the normal topics or some of the, the newer topics. And uh, those newer topics were uh, 
about Texas State and the challenge that they present. So um, let's take a look at the Bobcats and what's going to be running out onto the field to face the Bears uh, this Saturday evening, uh, led by G.J. Kinney, who comes over after a very successful year at Incarnate Word. He's just in his second year as a head coach, obviously has a background. Baylor fans are very familiar with the Kinney family. His father, an alum. At one point, G.J. was a Baylor quarterback commit, eventually flipped to Texas, and then eventually went on to Tulsa and had a short pro career and then got into coaching the family business and has rapidly risen through the ranks um, after you know learning some tools along the way in the pros as well. And, and really, he said uh, in an interview with us yesterday and in other interviews he's done that uh, he was given the advice of to just play as long as possible and soak up all that he could that way. And then it was inevitable he was going to go into coaching and go into coaching, but try to play as long as you possibly could. So he did and, you know, had a, you know, a career where he got to see a lot of different things, got to see a lot of different systems, be around a lot of different people, make a lot of different relationships. And uh, once his pro career wrapped up, he got back into coaching, started that, and he's been at seven different places over the seven years of his coaching career, including these first two head coaching stops. Last year with Incarnate Word, they were 12-2. and two. They won the Southland. They had the Heisman winner of uh, the FCS, which is the Walter Payton Award, and their quarterback, Lindsey Scott. Lindsey Scott is now on staff at Texas State uh, after a very successful record-breaking and Walter Payton Award-winning career. And now G.J. moves over to Texas State, replacing Jake Spavitol. And we saw Jake Spavitol last couple years uh, facing Baylor. Uh, As you pointed out at the start of the show, two years ago, a Big 12 championship team got all they wanted from Texas State and San Marcos. And then last year, a team that won't be remembered for very great reasons, like demolished them in the opening uh, game, and he thought, oh, wow, this team's going to be great, and that was not the case. So uh, G.J. comes in, brings over a lot of the people from Incarnate Word where they had success, uh, and has you know the reputation for being an offensive mastermind and one of the great up-and-coming bright minds in college football, uh, a offense that has been um, kind of a – uh, just a combination of different things he's learned from various stops and coaches, and that includes Chip Kelly, that includes Doug Peterson, uh, that includes Jeff Trailer, that includes, um, gosh, uh, Gus Malzahn, a lot of heavy Gus Malzahn influence, and a lot of other things he's picked up along the way. And what you have is an offense that averaged over 50 points per game last year, um, and so this is going to be a real challenge uh, because it's going to be very familiar to what we saw from old Baylor offenses, what you see from Tennessee currently, but it's also going to have its own G.J. Kinney twist on it. So when you start to look at this offense and knowing what Baylor's defense is bringing to the table, what kind of stands out to you and what are your first thoughts when looking at the Bobcats? I mean, I, I think if you look at what happened at Incarnate Word and what Lindsey Scott brought to the table, I mean, I think the first thing to note is Lindsey Scott is not playing for Texas State this year. And what Lindsey Scott did last year was absolutely remarkable. Um, really, the last two years, he was phenomenal at Incarnate Word. And uh, G.J. Kenny just had this explosive offense that ran the ball well. They threw the ball well. They were just absolutely dynamic against everyone they played against. Um It was fun to watch, and I mean, they made it deep into the playoffs as well before losing to North Dakota State by just three points. I mean, they were a great team last year uh, at the FCS level. Now, how does that translate to Texas State? Because you're coming in, you're going to implement something new. You have two quarterbacks that you brought in out of the transfer portal, and Malik Hornsby and TJ Finley, who have been very underwhelming 
at this point in their careers? Are you going to be able to get something out of them that the last stop could not? Um, You also have C.J. Rogers, who, of course, was at Baylor before. He's the third-string quarterback. Uh, They have a lot of weapons at wide receiver. Baylor saw Ashton Hawkins last year, who torched them a little bit at times. Uh, Short passes, but he was still dynamic, and it was another one of those, oh, that's a red flag that maybe we should have paid more attention to as the first two weeks, Chase Roberts and Ashton Hawkins both looked really good. He's back. He's going to be very good for them. They brought in a lot of transfers from Incarnate Word on the offensive line as well. So he's trying to make it as close to Incarnate Word as possible, but let's be clear, there are still a lot of missing factors there, and the big one being Lindsey Scott. Yeah, um, but you do have a couple of guys who clearly have some talent. It's just not been maximized, and you wonder if this is the key. They are different players, though. It's not like no matter who goes out there, it's going to be the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. They do bring different skill sets. So you just wonder with his ability as a coach and the system, if he's able to squeeze out, you know, the, the, the juice, uh, so to speak, from a couple of guys who at one point in time were pretty hot commodities oh, yeah. at, at a higher level. So there is that, you know, double whammy of, of who could you see and also what could they possibly look like in an offense that obviously is pretty prolific. And, and I made mention of this in my article this week or one of the articles this week is, um, this is going to be a you know a, a test for this defense uh, early on. They're going to stretch this defense out. They're going to test that secondary. I mean, they're going to run the football. They're going to do a lot of different things, and they are going to try and exhaust Baylor with their speed and spreading them out and doing all that stuff. And um, I think this is going to be really fun to watch. From a if you're just a football fan and X's and O's guy, you are. You know, salivating at the thought of seeing this offense and this style that's kind of taken the world by storm here lately, and the wise old defensive mind and Dave Aranda, who's seen all these offenses come and go and has you know mastered his own craft. Yeah, it's not going to be on the same level of like if GJ had been at Tennessee for the last five years and had built this thing up. But it's going to be pretty fun to see like how the chess match goes here with Aranda and Pallage and. You know, Kenny and uh, his offensive coordinator and Mac Leftwich. Definitely. I mean, they're going to try to spread things out. They're going to try to take opportunities deep downfield while also just moving the chains through the passing game. And, and I mean, you look at what they did at Incarnate Ward. I mean, they ran the ball extremely well, 215 yards per game. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to do that against Baylor. They're going to have to throw the football a ton in my eyes to actually win this game or to at least to compete in this game is to throw it a lot and create explosive plays. So if you look at kind of what they have on their depth chart, specifically at quarterback, Malik Hornsby is much closer to what they had with Lindsey Scott uh, last year. A more dynamic runner, Baylor recruited Malik Hornsby out of high school. He went to Fort Bend Marshall uh, High School, uh, ended up at Arkansas Really good athlete, extremely fast. He was at Fort Ben Marshall with Devonna Chain. They were elite running the football, those two guys in that read option scheme. That's what he's going to bring to the table, the ability to run that read option and be very dynamic and just create uh, more options for them to actually run the football at a high level. Uh, That's what I'm expecting from Hornsby. I do think he'll be the starter uh, on Saturday. I don't think that's been officially named yet, but I do think he'll be the guy. I just think he gives them a better opportunity to win this game. As far as TJ Finley goes, if you see this guy take the field on Saturday, you're going to be like, wait, that's a quarterback? Um, He is like 6'7", is what he's listed at, 255 pounds, but... I saw him back in high school. The guy literally looks like he's like 6'10", 300. I mean, he is massive. And so when if you see him run out there, you're going to be like, holy cow, that's the quarterback. Um, strong arm, 
not very mobile, but can make all the throws. His problem is uh, not very decisive, not very accurate, and just really hasn't put it all together. The one thing I will mention, though, is before Lindsey Scott got to Incarnate Word, he had not put it all together either. And so that's kind of what I think they're hoping for is that in this offense, they're able to find a quarterback that can really put it all together, learn under G.J. Kenny, and really figure it all out during their time at Texas State. Question is, will that be year one? That's kind of what we're kind of waiting to see. Yep, and they will be banking on the Baylor defense making some mistakes, getting overly aggressive, uh, trying to predict, do things like that. Um, this is very similar, folks, to watching what Art Bryles and, and company did in so many ways at Baylor. You know, they're going to – uh, you know, try to beat you over the top uh, when you give them the right look or the right coverage. They're going to bully you underneath when you give them the other type of coverage. It's basically they're going to be reading you in, in so many ways and then also, you know, uh, finding the ways to, to hit you big when they get the opportunity. And so for a team that gave up a lot of big plays last year, for a team that couldn't get defenses off the field last year, for a team that was really um, unsteady in the secondary – um, this is like the last team I think you'd want to see as far as like, an, you know, not, I, I'm not trying to make too much of this. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Baylor's going to be the more talented team. Baylor's going to be the deeper team. Baylor should be as well coached, if not a better coach team, all due respect to a very hot up and coming staff and head coach. Um, but, you know, there are things that I do feel like they are absolutely going to be tested. This is not your average like, hey, we'll be gone by halftime. You know, let's just bank on this being a blowout. Um you know, this is the type of offense that if this secondary is not shored up and they're not tackling well or they're not in the right spot, like, you could find yourself getting hit for six really quickly and, you know, making this a game that lasts a little bit too long and gets uncomfortable at some point. So I, I definitely think that that's, that's of mind for, for this football team. It's more about what they do, obviously, but um, if they don't do what they're supposed to do, then I think Texas State's the type of team that can make them pay for it. Definitely. I mean, they, they're going to try to create those explosive plays, no doubt about it. The one thing I will mention, we've talked a lot about Texas State here. Um, I do want to mention that Baylor has distinct advantages up front on both sides of the ball. Oh, yeah. Um, offensive line-wise, they brought in a lot of transfers from Incarnate Word. That's great. They were good at the FCS level. But you move to the Power 5 level, and you're facing this Baylor defensive line, and I just I don't see that going great for them um, up front. And then you flip to the other side of the ball, and I, I think Texas State's going to be pretty terrible defensively this year. I, I don't see them being very good at all. I think when you bring in an offensive-minded coach who wants to run a lot of plays and speed up the tempo, that also impacts the defense. So I do think Baylor's going to have the opportunity to run the ball very effectively while also taking shots deep downfield, and I think they're going to have a lot of advantages there. And so while I do think Texas State provides some unique circumstances, some unique scheme uh, on the offensive side, I think this is a Baylor team that should be able to do whatever they want offensively, control the tempo, control the time possession, and control the pace of play, which I think is going to be very key to them winning this game, you know, fairly easily if that does happen. Yeah, and most of the numbers that you see uh, are favoring Baylor in a pretty significant way. There's not like a three-point spread on this game when you look at Vegas. It's expected to be a game that they handle their business and, and move on along. But given the biggest question mark heading into the season, um, that is the biggest strength for your first opponent. So I think we're going to see that uh, tested pretty early on. But you're right. Like in other areas, Baylor has a significant advantage. In all areas, they have an advantage or a, a pretty close to significant advantage. It should be a matter of going out there and executing 
executing and performing and doing your job. And quite frankly, you'd love to just say like, oh yeah, like that's just automatically going to happen. But there are a lot of question marks that we don't know about this team and a lot of new faces. So it just being that first game, there's just a lot of unknowns that we that we will get to see, and I'm I'm excited to to see that and have a better grip on kind of what to expect with this football team after you know seeing some real live action for the first time yeah definitely and I do think we will learn some things right I mean as far as you know Texas State attacking Baylor we'll learn about what Baylor's secondary is about we'll learn how good Baylor's pass rush is Um, I think we're going to learn a lot more about the defense because I again I expect the offense to move just fine now if they're stuck in the mud, that could be an issue because you're about to play a really, really good defense next week in Utah. And so all of this, you're going to learn a few things. But again, don't try to come away with too much to learn about this game. I mean, we've seen it the last two years. The game that was much closer, that team ended up being way better than the team that blew out Texas State in the first game. So come away with little things. Come away with little plays here and there. Maybe scheme things. Maybe individual players but not so much a full circle view of what the season's going to be like after this game, even though I do expect Baylor to handle business. Yeah, uh, so Texas State, pretty prolific offense uh, that they're bringing on board. Defense, a little bit more to figure out on that side of the football, a little more of a building process over there. Um, What else uh, stands out to you as far as the Bobcats go? I think special teams is a wild card until it's it's not for Baylor. I mean, we haven't been able to see much of that. I think you have confidence that they're going to be more improved there. Um, you know, mentioned kind of the just the names that are involved, but you know, even those are are new in many ways from what we've seen in the past couple of years. But uh, you know, what else uh, is is something that's on your radar as far as Saturday goes? I think just kind of just some full circle moments. So Baylor recruited Malik Hornsby pretty hard. They didn't land him. That was when Matt Rule was at Baylor. C.J. Rogers was at Baylor and then transferred to Texas State. Demarius Good, a running back on this team, transferred from UCF to Texas State. He was a guy that Baylor recruited really, really hard. Um, So just some kind of full circle names. Drew Donnelly was a name that I know Baylor looked at for a little bit as well. Sean Shaw was at Iowa State, so Baylor's played against him a couple times. So a lot of guys that just you randomly look at their depth chart and go, hey, Baylor recruited those guys, so that should be rather interesting to see kind of if they pan out or play well uh, at Texas State. But in general, I mean, the craziest part about Texas State is just how many transfers they lost, how many guys they brought in. The 53 yeah, new fi- players. That's crazy. Like, that kind of roster turnover. It would be crazier if you had your head coach from a year ago. Obviously, when you bring in a new coach, they're going to make a lot of changes. My question is, how quickly does that all come together? Um, I do think G.J. Kenny's going to have a lot of success at Texas State, but it might take a little more time. And he's definitely got to find his guy at the quarterback position. I think that's priority number one for them going into the year. Uh, As far as Baylor goes, I mean, this is really, like you said, all about Baylor, right? Can they come out and run exactly what they run offensively and defensively consistently? And can they have success with that? And that's honestly all I'm going to be looking for in this matchup, you know, Baylor just being Baylor is going to be very key and hoping they don't come in and start getting out of their funk and getting into a funk and kind of getting out of their game because if that happens, that's, you know, that's going to be problems. So 6 o'clock on Saturday, Texas State and Baylor, game number one of the season. We know this will be... Um, you know, very tough first month of the season for Baylor. I mean, these first couple of weeks are games you expect to win, and I looked at it uh, 
at the most updated glance, Baylor 26.5-point favorites. So um, they're expected to go in there and handle their business, but it's going to ramp up in, in a hurry. I mean, they're going to get these first couple weeks where they're going to be heavily favored, and then after that, I mean, it's a crapshoot on how many games they'll be favored in beyond that. I mean, Texas, UCF on the road, Utah before that. I mean, that Utah game, a lot will probably depend on Cam rising, but uh, I guess that's next week, right? Yeah. Um, but then you've got week three with uh, Long Island. Long Island, so I got that backwards. But, yeah, I mean, next week, Utah. Um, <laughs> then Long Island will be, like, your other dip. But besides this week and then, you know, Long Island, which is sandwiched between Utah and Texas, uh, and then your road trip to UCF and so on. I'm not trying to get ahead, but just saying, like, enjoy this game. <laughs> and then, you know, and then after that, like, hey, man, it's it's off to the races. And, and who knows, there's probably a couple, you know, Hooks and jabs to be on, you know, the lookout for uh, still this Saturday, but they are heavy favorites and um, they're expected to, um, you know, be able to kind of name their score in this one. But how they go about doing that, how that unfolds, uh, how they stay healthy, how, um, you know, the depth chart looks by the end of the game and all these different things. I'm very excited to to just see proof in the pudding and, and be able to have something substantial to go off of. So, very excited about this one. Definitely. And on Thursday, everyone's going to get a chance to watch Utah versus Florida as yeah. well. So you kind of get a preview of what Utah is going to look like. Um, you know, you don't ever want to look ahead. Texas State is obviously dangerous, and, and their offense is very interesting. But I think it is nice that you get to watch Utah on Thursday, get to watch Baylor on Saturday, and also just kind of get ready for that matchup. And that's not to say they get to look past Texas State. Definitely not. But I do think that they should take care of business this week. And uh, get ready for uh, Utah the next week, which I know we'll talk a lot about. But yeah, I mean, you got to get ready. I mean, because Texas State, Utah, Long Island, and then conference play starts, and you got Texas coming into your building. So uh, everything has to be organized, ready to go from the very beginning this year for Baylor. All right. Uh, do you want to get into some questions here? Yeah, and we got I think a lot. We'll cover. Uh, most bases by the time we wrap up with uh, all of the questions and we do have a lot so let's be mindful of time here um the mph what's up with jordan neighbors i was optimistic he'd take the next step have a decent role this season but a lot of whispers that things have been rough hope we still see him a good amount yeah i can't dive into too much on this currently but i do think things will change after you know maybe the first the early part of this season. I do think Jordan Neighbors is going to get a lot more touches than Jonah Burton, a lot more snaps than Jonah Burton, and be a big part of what they're trying to do offensively and on special teams. What are y'all's thoughts on Kyler Jordan at Jack? Just an honorary thing due to Randolph Byron being suspended or new, or should we be concerned talent-wise of the group? Appreciate y'all on the pod. Well, MPH, we appreciate you as well. Thank you for the questions. I mean, Kyler has definitely worked his way into being inside the top three in that unit. Obviously, I know he's listed as the starter, but as I mentioned at the beginning, I fully expect Garmin Randolph and Byron Vaughns to be these starters, the guys who get more snaps than Kyler, but I do think this is a good sign of Kyler's development, his leadership, and what he's brought to the program. Yeah, and I, I know that there was like a monstrous threat on the depth chart and like knee-jerk yeah. reactions over everything, and, and maybe I'm downplaying it too much. I, I just think that like we saw the depth chart basically go unchanged last year, I felt like, in so many ways. This first one's a good taste, but I, I think it should be, again – a reminder of this first week's going to be unique. Like, there's a whole off-season of events that have taken place. There's injuries we don't know about. There's, you know, like I said, there's off-field things potentially we don't know about. There's any number of reasons why, you know, the lists are the way that they are. So I think we'll have a much better grasp and maybe – 
you know, maybe it's not that big. Maybe we see Byron Bonds all over the place on Saturday, and it's just a matter of that was the depth chart for this particular week. You yeah, know? you're definitely going to see Garmin Randolph all <laughs> right, over the yeah. place. Like, you absolutely but, will, and Vaughn's as yeah. well. Yeah. But I, it's also notable that, yeah, you see Kyler Jordan on there. Like, okay, well, let's see what Saturday brings then. You know? I think you should look at it more as, wow, that's great that Kyler has performed so well, and less look at it as, wow, Garmin and Byron are completely falling off. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, uh, bare knuckle given the risk-reward philosophy we're deploying in the secondary this season, coupled with Kenny's pre- uh, predilection for explosive spread formations, a shutout seems highly unlikely. That said, against Texas State, what are some realistic benchmarks y'all need to see to feel comfortable about this defense? I don't see a shutout happening. I do think that the benchmarks, if you want statistical benchmarks, I think Baylor you know, getting... Uh, four sacks is a good benchmark. Holding Texas State under 100 yards rushing. Holding Texas State under 250 yards passing. I think those are some of the benchmarks that I'm looking for as far as actual statistic numbers on the defensive side. Um, oh, and creating at least two turnovers would be nice to see in the early going. Yeah, that's one thing about Texas State's defense, uh, and it's an incarnate words defense, obviously. Kenny brought a lot of guys over with him. Um, including his defensive coordinator, but they are disruptive, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they are a team that will get some, you know, negative plays. They'll get turnovers, and so that's going to be something for the Baylor offense to be mindful of. They're not, you know, a giant challenge of, like, how are they going to move the ball, but you better protect the football, and especially with this offense, you get that couple turnovers, and you can find yourself in some trouble pretty quickly with their their big playability. But, yeah, I don't really have a lot, and I never typically do, like, benchmarks of, like, they better not give up 20 points or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I definitely don't expect a shutout. Um, but I also don't expect, you know, Texas State to hang, like, 30. And if they do, I'd be pretty wildly concerned about something like that. Or if they were to throw, you know, I mean, I think yardage is a bit of an overrated stat, but um, – you know, if they're throwing for like 500 yards, I'm going to be a little bit concerned about that as well. For sure. And just quickly on their defense, they gave up 29, 41, 41, um, 38, 63, and 35 in games last year at the FCS level. So they weren't stout defensively. They had good moments against bad teams, but they also had some pretty uh, pretty terrible moments. All right, let's roll here. Uh, Alpha Needle, would you trade a loss home Houston – would you trade a loss at home to Houston for a win at TCU this year? Yes. Uh, yeah, I would too, actually. I mean, that Houston loss would probably not feel pretty good, but, man, the TCU dominance has got to end at some point. I mean, that's, that's to me, a way bigger deal than having a few Houston fans be able to brag, you know, for a year or so. Um, as compared to TCU fans and, and what they've been able to brag about, I would much rather beat the Frogs. Is Bryson Washington, is Bryson Washington fully back now? I'm not sure, but I will say him being listed on the depth chart makes me think that he'll probably play this week. So I'm I'm not 100% sure on if he's practicing today, um, but I, I do view that as a good sign for how he's progressing. Useless Kim Degree, like the name said, that they'd go they'd trade going 1-11 for a win at TCU this year. No. I mean, Absolutely yeah, I, I think that's also, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but yeah. I don't know. There's probably some people that would, and I wouldn't necessarily – I mean, I would at least go, hmm. Maybe. I mean, because that's how dire it's been against the Frogs here as of late. Monster Bear 61, uh, got a few things here. 
What's the outlook for special teams? Do we have a dedicated coach or is just somebody who's splitting time coaching another position? Well, they brought on a special teams coach this offseason. Tyler Hancock. And Tyler Hancock. uh, And who are designated punt and kick returners? Well, I listed them off at the beginning. Like, There's like eight guys um, that are punt and kick returners listed, like four starters at each position. Yeah, I I think that as the season progresses, uh, Jordan Neighbors, I do think, will be the guy who gets most of those opportunities. I'm hoping they don't put Monterey Baldwin back there a lot. I'm just, I don't want him to get injured on special teams. But there's been some other guys like Josh Cameron who was listed there. I know Corey Gordon was listed as well, but I do expect Jordan Neighbors to kind of be the guy. Uh, as the season progresses. Yeah, I mean, and all you have to do is take a look at the depth chart and you can get the full list. But yeah, yeah. there's four starters listed at kick returner and punt returner. So a number of, of players will be suiting up uh, there. But yeah, Jordan Neighbors is a, a safe bet to be one of the ones that emerges. Uh, Sawyer Robertson, how much eligibility does he have left versus Shapin? Does he have a light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, so three years left for Robertson, two years left for Shapin. Uh, I don't know what the does he have lie at the end of the tunnel, but yeah, I mean, he'll have an opportunity to compete for the starting job. I would think next year, maybe if something happens this year, he'll play, but I mean, he would have a year where he would be the starter at Baylor if Shapin is the starter for the next two years. Is he likely a transfer if he doesn't get to play this year? Again, we've speculated. We've gotten asked this question a ton. I mean, it's possible because he would only have one year, but I mean, who knows? The quarterback position can be such a weird thing where it all fluctuates, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to speculate too much on it, but yeah, you could definitely see that as a possibility. Can he rotate into another position? No. No, uh, no he is a quarterback, and yeah. he's only going to be a quarterback. Uh, walk-ons and preferred walk-ons, is anybody emerging from the pack and onto the field? Uh, not that I'm aware. I mean, I haven't heard anything special, you know, especially about walk-ons. Um, so, you know, if there is somebody that's emerging, I think we're going to have to see that with our own eyes because I don't think anything's really been super pointed out. Yeah, I mean, like Jonah Burton being listed, he's not on scholarship. Gavin Yates will have a role. He's he's a walk-on. Uh, RJ Martinez is third-string quarterback. But as far as guys who I think are going to play a ton, I think it's pretty much just Gavin Yates and maybe Jonah Burton. Outside of that, it's going to take time. They had a really good preferred walk-on class this year, though, that could do some things. Do we have any dual sport athletes on this year's team that we can look for in track or b-ball? Not that I'm aware of, no. Um, so, yeah, no no Ish Wainwright situation or Rico Gathers or any of that uh, here lately. Uh, Jared Burr, what's the complete story on Ajani Carter? What are the chances that he's on campus this fall and suited up for the Bears? I mean, I feel like we've given the complete story. He had to finish up classes at Utah State, so it took him a while before he was even able to, I guess, send in academics to Baylor. It took till I think, like August 11th, I think, was the date. So they're just waiting for him to get enrolled and get accepted into the school, I think, or something along those lines with academics is kind of where things are at right now. And until that gets cleared, that's That's why he's not practicing uh, at this point. But I do think the chances are still pretty high that he's going to be on campus this fall and play for Baylor at some point this year. Ryan L. Long, what are you hoping to see out of Baylor this weekend against Texas State? I mean, we've talked kind of about this. I just think you want to see Baylor come out and be Baylor, be the team that they want to be and not be dictated by what Texas State is going to be and, and just come out and play well, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I just want to see a team that looks like they know what they're doing. I want to see a team that looks like they enjoy what they're doing, um, as opposed to last year when you definitely got the feel that things were just sort of out of whack. A uh, team that, you know, is a bit in rhythm, even though there's going to be some gremlins in the first game, you know. Um, but, yeah, just a team that, uh, you know, is able to display its talent and show off its strong suits and uh, not make too many mistakes and just be 
kind of uh, smart with uh, with the way that they play football. I think that's going to be the big thing for random teams is you're not always going to out-talent people, but you're just going to out-execute and out-discipline and, and do those types of things. And so I think if you see they want some strong discipline and execution, then that bodes well, mm-hmm. uh, more so than just seeing them hit a couple big plays. Although seeing some big plays on offense down the field would be pretty nice as well. Uh, and a secondary that doesn't give up six touchdowns and 500 yards through the air would be great too. <laughs> so just all of those things would be – A-OK with me. Jared Burr, I always say I'd go 2-10 and every year as long as we beat TCU and TU, a.k.a. Texas. So, yes, thank you, Jared, for chiming in there. I think a lot of people would just love to see a TCU and however that comes about this year. Big Cheese 83, what results are coming out of camp have surprised you the most personally? Honestly, there hasn't been a ton. I think Caden Siraki moving to right guard instead of playing right tackle was kind of one that stood out to me initially um, as a surprise. A lot of the other things we saw during um, spring camp, you know, and kind of got a good feel for what was going on there. I guess on the defensive side, you know, with no Jarrell Boykins, you're seeing Cooper Lands kind of continue to play that position and be worked in at nose tackle. Trevin Maya coming in and playing nose tackle as well uh, is intriguing. But I think in general, no, none of this has really surprised me just because we saw so much of it during the spring. We saw them uh, add transfers to shore up some positions on the defensive side. And so, um, yeah, you know, maybe the biggest surprise is uh, Johnny Carter not being on campus yet. Yeah, uh, that's a bummer, and hopefully that situation gets resolved here pretty soon. Um, Overall, Minion, what are some realistic stats for Saturday night that would make you all feel like the football team could exceed your expectations for them this season? Thanks, guys. I think the secondary not giving up a ton of yards, so 250 yards passing, under 100 yards rushing, forcing a few turnovers. I think getting four or five sacks would be key. Offensively, again, it's it all comes down to how does it happen. Are they running the ball really well? Are they creating explosive plays in the pass game? If they can do those things, then I'm not I'm less uh, curious about the specific numbers and more curious about the way that it happens, the way that it goes about. Yeah, I'd love to see them go take three like the olden days. And I know uh, what's the motto now? It's more the jackers and robbers yeah. and, and all of that. But yeah, go get a couple turnovers. Uh, that would be. I think ideal, some big rushing yards uh, with your your setup right now and how much of a focus that will be. Um, you know, and see, you know, just a better than middle of the road stat line from Blake Shapin of like, you know, one touchdown pass and one touchdown run for like 200 and something yards and 70% complete, you know, yeah. just very vanilla, like <laughs> something a little spicier, at least in week one would be, you know, encouraging, but, um, you know, nothing too crazy. I, I just think execution and, playing clean football and staying healthy, like those are the biggest things more so than than any numbers. Um, Master Pierce, MPH, what could Texas State exploit on offense and defense that would cause you to have major concerns for this team moving forward? I mean, I think offensively it's spreading the secondary out and creating explosive plays in the pass game and also just moving the chains through the pass game. Maybe the read option could be something that could be a little scary too if Hornsby really gets going, but that's pretty much my concerns on the offensive side. Defensively, I think they're going to make Blake shape and make throws. And because of that, I think they're going to be really, really aggressive and put a lot of guys in the box. And so it's going to come down to shaping, making throws and wide receivers winning one-on-one matchups in my eyes. Bear Sack, uh, why has Aranda struggled to have a high-end secondary during his BU tenure? 
I mean, I, I thought their 2021 secondary was pretty dang good. I mean, they won the Big 12 championship. They completely shut down Ole Miss, and I know Matt Corral got hurt, but he wasn't exactly setting the world on fire throwing the football to start that game. So I'd kind of push back a little bit on that. Um, I mean, he developed Jalen Petrie, JT Woods. I think last year, just everyone's kind of harping on the secondary last year, and I do think they're going to get better, um, and they need to get better. And I think that's an area that they're addressing by bringing Matthew Pallage back in to address the safety position I think Aranda is going to address it this year and he needs to yeah I think you know he did inherit those guys not to say he didn't develop them but that is also where I think people are coming from as well you know that it's not um like his recruited class and and so I think just with the smaller sample size of it's like he gets partial credit for that, whether that's fair or not. But I think that's also where people come from as far as like, where's the stars? Where, where are the playmakers from the secondary? Since that's, you know, obviously a big part of his background. Uh, Bear sack, why? Okay, if we start 2-2 two and two facing a road game versus rabid UCF Stadium, what would you predict we finish record-wise? Um, Same thing I've said the entire yeah. offseason, 8-4. and four. I've said that pretty much 99% of this offseason – and um, I'm sticking with that because I think this first month is potentially one where you take a couple of lumps, but you're better for it in the long run. Yeah, if they start two and two, and then they go face UCF, I, I yeah, yeah, eight and four, I still think is possible, but it'd be tough. It'd be tough. I mean, because if they I'm lose, I'm just not that chalking game, up UCF on the road as an automatic loss, and I feel no. like a lot of people are doing that already. I'm definitely not, but I'm also not chalking up two and two to start the year. Sure. I think they're going to start three and one personally. But yeah, that would be uh, very interesting if they're two and two going into that game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the possibility, um, and you know that Utah game will be pivotal coming up next week. So uh, let's revisit that, shall we? But yeah, if they start off two and two and then go to UCF, my eight and four is looking a little shaky, um, but. You know, let's see. Let, let's see them get there before we we dwell too much on the possibilities. We aren't getting much love nationally. We finished six and seven last year. Most of our portal additions have become depth pieces rather than starters, based on the initial depth chart. Convince me why I should expect a better finish than last year. Well, I have a whole lot of pushback on most of the transfers have been become depth pieces. So uh, Keytron Jackson is probably their best offense player, and he's a starter. You got Campbell Barrington starting at left tackle, Clark Barrington starting at center. Jake Roberts is in a committee at tight end, so I guess you could call him a backup. Dominic Richardson is going to be 1A or 1B with Richard Reese, so he's a de facto starter as well. You look on the defensive side, Trevin Maya is going to be a starter. Justin Sambu is backing up arguably Baylor's best defender in Gabe Hall. He's going to play a ton this year. Mike Smith is starting at will. Um, I just, you look at all that, Ajani Carter, we haven't seen him yet. I just, I don't know that you can come to that conclusion. I think they've addressed a lot of positions through the transfer portal. They're going to be a lot better at multiple positions because of it. And ultimately, I think you look at this team, you look at the schedule, eight and eight home games. Like that's the first part about it. You look at Blake Shapin coming into his third year, which is typically a point where guys get a lot better. That's another reason for optimism. The receivers are going to be far better. You got an NFL talent in my eyes in Keytron Jackson. You have a really good offense line with a really great offense line coach in Eric Mateos. And you have Dave Aranda who brought in Matthew Pallage, who's expecting a big uptick on the defensive side. That's why I think they will be better than they were last year. And uh, welcome Jack McKenzie making a brief appearance on the uh, on the podcast there. That was my bad. No, it's all good. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Bearsack that answered your question. I'm sitting fireside tonight with my second finger or my second forefinger <laughs> pour. Finally, a reasonably temp evening. What's your go-to bourbon? Bullet. Do you have one? Yeah, bullet for me. 
All right. I, I'm not a drinker, so uh, kudos, cheers, but I uh, don't have a recommendation in that regard. Uh, Bearsack also mentioned, P.S., I effing love the Bearcast in 365. <laughs> you guys are doing an awesome job and make my Baylor fan experience 100% better. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much and appreciate the questions. Bear for Cleats, any updates on how many Baylor guys made a team or got cut following the NFL preseason? As always, love the show big time. Well, Bear for Cleats, uh, if I can find a moment, I will have a story out on what the final aftermath looks like, but cuts are still ongoing until later on this afternoon as we record this. I just saw where Mark Milton's been released by the Panthers. That's not a surprise. Uh, he is going to be one of many Bears that get cut today. Um, you know, recently had Denzel Mims got cut. That basically brings him to the end of the road, I think, NFL-wise for maybe ever. Yeah. Um, at least he's got some XFL-type options potentially, but didn't take much advantage of that Lions opportunity, um, which I was afraid of. And um, like I said, I just saw Mark Milton. Connor Galvin Connor, got cut last night. Connor Galvin he got cut last night. But their hope is to bring him back on the practice squad. Okay. So, you know, he was an undrafted free agent, so that's not a huge shocker. And He's a guy who's kind of a tweener, honestly. Like, he's got tackle height, but not tackle body, and there's Athleticism, just things yeah. like that. But, I mean, it's going to be a bloodbath. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> there's not a lot of guaranteed NFL guys of the, the mix of guys. I mean, there's there's a few, but there's not a ton. And so I think we're going to see a lot of uh, red ink when it comes to my NFL list, but I will have something finished up with that by – Wednesday or Thursday. It's a busy week, so I'll try to squeeze that in somewhere. Uh, let's see. Uh, thank you, Bear, for cleats for that. All right, a couple more, and then we got to roll. Uh, golden green, obligatory single-digit question. Even if this is no longer a big deal, do you still expect guys to wear those numbers? There are some good jersey numbers just sitting on the shelf right now. Yes, I would fully expect those to get kind of taken up uh, within the next week. I, I can't imagine they leave all of those empty unless they're trying to do something where people just – get them throughout the year, which would be kind of going back to similar to what Matt Rule did. So I kind of hope they don't do that. I hope they just allow some of the leaders on the team to maybe pick those numbers. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, they definitely are not making a big deal out of it, but those are sitting empty. So I suppose we could see that on Saturday of just an unveiling of sorts. That'd be cool, right, to kind of yeah. see guys come out there in new numbers. It might be a little confusing for some yeah, people. but media may not love it, but <laughs> if you give us a roster that's updated, then it won't be that big of a deal. But, yeah, that's that's interesting. I haven't really thought about that too much, but you definitely want to fill those numbers up because those are the, the flashy ones. Those are the, the ones for your stars most of the time. Uh, Garrett Bear, what other games are you all looking forward to this week? Yeah, I mean, on this slate, I, I was kind of looking for the big ones, Utah, Florida, coming up yeah. this weekend that's gonna be a lot of fun week two is way better than week one way way better yeah for sure I mean that's kind of a big one obviously LSU Florida State will be a lot of fun to watch on Monday Clemson Duke just because I, I have high expectations for Clemson this year um yeah the, Colorado TCU yeah. I think will be interesting just because of you know Prime. the reload for the frogs and then also uh Dion kicking off the Colorado tenure so I, I think that that one's of interest um you know, there's a lot of games where I'm just interested in one team of the two just to kind of see how they are updated and, and sort of how they look. But LSU, Florida State's definitely uh, the big one on tap for this weekend. So very much looking forward to that closing out uh, the the weekend slate. And then there will be uh, a game on Monday night with Clemson and Duke, which is 
very random. Mm, um, but very. Uh, yeah, LSU Duke, Florida State right? on Sunday night will be great. I think it's at Duke too. So that's that'll be a fun environment for them. Yeah, it is. So yeah, those are a couple. Next week that's a much more loaded question. Um, but this week it's kind of light. It's, it's kind of obvious what the big games are. Uh, so it's a, it's a nice appetizer though. Appreciate that question. Um, and uh, let's see here, Bearcats. What Baylor player are you most excited to see this weekend? Thanks, guys. Love the show. On offense, it's Keetron Jackson. On defense, I'm going to go at TJ Franklin just because of the the fall that he had, the fall camp and the spring camp. He should absolutely dominate up front if he continues to trend that way. And thank you for enjoying the show. We we enjoy doing it. Yeah, um, I mean, it's uh, it's a lot of fun doing this, and we do appreciate uh, all of you that uh, have the nice comments or just listen, whether you comment or not. But uh, Mike Smith, I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, on defense because of all the things we've heard this offseason. And then Dominic Richardson, uh, how he and Richard Reese play off of each other. Uh, and Keetron Jackson as well, just because we've heard so much, and they really desperately need a, st- a star wide receiver to emerge. So um, there's a lot to look for, I think, especially on offense as far as new faces go. Um, but that that running back room and uh, you know the star potential of Keetron Jackson is a is a big one for sure for me. Um, and I'm going back to Garrett's question again as far as the games this weekend. So I'm just sitting here looking over the slate and hoping that another one will pop up. But I think we kind of hit like there's only really a couple of big yeah. games, but. Man, that LSU-Florida State one's going to be something else. So, um, man, can't wait to kind of dive in each weekend uh, to see what, you know, what what's what. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, a heck of a lot of fun. So, uh, Bearcats, thank you for asking us. Uh, the final question, uh, a number of them. You can tell us the regular season again, right, yeah. uh, with all of the questions that we got. And uh, thankful for it, thankful for all the listeners, and thankful that we actually have some games to talk about because with all due respect, the offseason and speculation and what could happen and all that's fun, but I much prefer talking about what's actually happening, and uh, we're going to finally be able to, to do some of that starting with next week's episode. Uh, so that brings us to the end here, and uh, we have predictions to make as far as the Big 12 goes, and this is where we'll highlight some games, but this is also a segment we're going to have to be a bit quick on at least these first couple of weeks because 14 teams in this conference now with OU and Texas beginning their last run and four new schools in BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF now a part of the mix officially as well. And, uh, Grayson, we start on Thursday night, actually. Let's do it. So Thursday night, Kent State travels to UCF. UCF, uh, a home game. They're a 36-point favorite on Thursday night. Who do you got? Uh, give me Gus Malzahn and the Knights. Not the Golden Knights, to be clear. The Knights of UCF. And I just am warning you, for those who haven't already been warned about calling them by that mascot name, it's just the Knights. Just the Knights. Okay, yeah. well, I think they're going to win this game big against, what, the Golden Flashes? Yep. I guess, have they kept their gold? They gold? are still going. I'm just telling you, man, watch out for UCF Twitter. <laughs> they are they are about it, about it. Yeah, I'll take UCF big in that one. Friday, September 1st, uh, 7 p.m., Missouri State travels to take on Kansas. Who you got? Give me Lance Leipold and the Jayhawks. I think it's going to be a probably a near big 12 sweep this first week but yeah definitely KU here I got Kansas big something like 52 to 20 I think they're gonna win that game rather easily Saturday September 2nd uh 11 a.m on Fox Colorado travels to take on TCU TCU's a 20 and a half point favorite 
future conference matchup beginning next year. Um, but for right now, just a sexy non-con because of Dion and uh, because of what TCU did last year. Uh, yeah, give me the Frogs. This is kind of an ugly game last year. We had, And you would have never have thought coming out of that game that TCU was about to do what they did. Um, you never would have thought that Colorado was going to eventually hire Dion either. So just kind of weird how that worked out. But very interesting game for a few reasons, but I don't think it'll be because of the – the actual game itself necessarily, and yeah, TCU easily uh, in this one. Yeah, I got TCU 45-24. to 24. I do think Colorado will hang in there a little bit just with all that momentum. They'll be ready to play, but TCU is the far better team. Next up, 11 a.m. on ESPN, Arkansas State travels to take on Oklahoma. OU is a 35-point favorite. OU might stumble at times this year. Remains to be seen how much better they'll be. But, yeah, Oklahoma easily. Yeah, Oklahoma big, 52-10. to 10. I like what Oklahoma brings to the table this year on the offensive side. Easy win in week one. Uh, 1 p.m. on ESPN Plus, Northern Iowa travels to Iowa State. Iowa State dealing with that gambling scandal. Does that uh, come to bite them week one? No, Iowa State. I think Iowa State's going to win this game, but it's always close with Northern Iowa, and it's just kind of a weird vibe around Iowa State right now. Uh, 2.30 p.m. on Fox, Rice travels to take on Texas. Uh, Who you got? Uh, Texas. I mean, this is um, very much a a matchup that doesn't have a lot of appeal because of just how one-sided I think this is going to be. I've seen far too many Rice-Texas games over the years to think this will be anything but the butt-kicking that it will turn into very quickly yeah name your score i'll take texas 66 to 13 i think they're gonna run this up on rice uh 2 30 p.m on espn plus eastern kentucky travels to cincinnati another newcomer in the big 12 uh, how do they start their season they're gonna win like every other big 12 team this week i feel like um but yeah look, i'm interested to learn more about cincinnati i think they're kind of a hard team for most people to peg right now um and there's there's just a lot of unknowns with them, but just unknowns also not only on their roster, but just I think Big 12 fandom still trying to figure out and and sort of know about Cincinnati uh, versus kind of the more in-your-face BYU or UCF. You know, Cincinnati's kind of harder to peg, especially with the coaching change. But, yeah, they're going to win this game. Yeah, a lot of changes here, but I think Cincinnati will win this one. Something like 34-10. to 10. I think it'll be rather comfortable for them. Uh, 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus, Southeast Missouri State travels to take on Kansas State uh, in Manhattan. Who you got? Oh, please. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. K-State's going <laughs> to roll. Yeah, I got Kansas State big, 52-10. Uh, to 10. It'll be a beatdown. Um, 6 p.m. on FS1, probably one of the most entertaining games of the week utsa travels to take on houston utsa is actually a one and a half point favorite going into this one yeah i just realized there is definitely one big 12 game that i don't expect somebody to win but it's not this one (laughs) although this is the second one that could come down with a big 12 loss um if houston's not careful they're a puzzling team as well donovan smith now a quarterback after a lengthy run of clayton toon um, no Tank Dell, no Alton McCaskill, even though they didn't have him last year either. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Houston's a curious team, too. I don't think people really know how good or bad they might be in one direction or the other. Um, but definitely leaning more towards potential to be bad than good. And so this is a dangerous game for them. And I'll pick Houston because it's at home and it's game number one and all that. But this is going to be a really tough game right out of the gates. I think by the end of the year, Houston's going to be pretty bad. But I, I think in this game, they're going to compete. This should be a really Really, really good game. Um, and UTSA winning would not be a shocker. No, I was going to say I trust Frank Harris much more than I trust Dominic, Donovan Smith. I'm going to take UTSA. Really close one, though, 35-33. to 33. I think they get it done. It'll be close, though. Uh, 6 p.m. on ESPN Plus, Central Arkansas travels to Oklahoma State. 
Yeah, I don't think we'll learn a ton about Oklahoma State here. I think they're also a very puzzling team. Of They could be a lot better than people expect just because not a lot's been made of them. And more it's been about the changes and the departures and all that. But Gundy can still coach, man. So, uh, yeah, I'm very interested in how Oklahoma State looks these first few weeks. But they'll, they'll win this game. Yeah, they're the team I have, like, the most questions about that I'm actually somewhat high on right. in this league. And I, I'm so curious what the They're sh- a sleeper, not Texas Tech, potentially. Like, they could be. Their schedule is yeah, awesome. But, like, they would be more of an actual sleeper than – because nobody's expecting them to yeah. go be in the Big 12 championship. Kudos game. to Josh Pate on this stat. Oklahoma State plays one game in the state of Texas this year, and it's against Houston. So really random stat. But, yeah, I think Oklahoma State wins this game rather easily. Something like 48-14, to an easy win. Uh, 6.30 on NBC, probably the, the most hype game of the week, at least. West Virginia travels to take on Penn State. Uh, on the road, Penn State's a 20-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, can the Mountaineers pull the upset off? Uh, no. Uh, I don't expect them to. Uh, no. I mean, yes, they could in theory, but it would take a lot of chaos, I feel like, and a lot of um, wrong thoughts heading into this season for them to, to be able to do so, uh, especially as it pertains to Penn State and obviously as it pertains to West Virginia because people are already pegging, you know, how quickly will Neil Brown get fired? So if they were to go beat Penn State or make this a close one, then that would definitely go against the offseason conversation. I, I think Penn State wins handily, but I'm very, um, like with most teams, I'm very intrigued by what we're going to see from West Virginia because I don't think people know exactly, you know, what direction to point with him just yet. I think West uh, well, I mean, most people are pointing down, but, you know, is, yeah. there, is there a reason to maybe point and have some more optimism, I guess? Yeah, I think they're going to put up a fight. I, I do think West Virginia is a borderline bowl team talent-wise, but I think Penn State is like a college football playoff contender. So, therefore, I think Penn State's going to win this game. But I do think you'll see moments where you go, hey, West Virginia's not that bad. Yeah. Uh, but I think it'll be something like 42-20, to 20, uh, rather easy win. We'll also find out who their starting quarterback is. Right, uh, which I think will be Garrett Green, personally. But I know Nico Marshall's there as well. Markio. Markio. But, yeah, yeah, I think Markio's the future. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that Garrett Green's got a bit more playing time. But, but yeah, we'll, we'll see, and that'll be a big answered question this week. On CBS at 630, Texas Tech travels to Wyoming. And Tech, the dark horse, a lot of people's dark horse, is only a 14-point favorite going into this one. Interesting that they're on the road in Wyoming, of all places, to start the year. Uh, just better not look too far ahead to Oregon the following week um, because that's going to be a big game. But, yeah, I think Tech will go on the road and handle their business. they got a lot of hype behind them, a lot of expectations, and I think they'll at least make, you know, through this first week uh, unscathed and then set up for a pretty big matchup in Lubbock uh, against the Ducks. I think this game is going to be rather ugly. Um, I think they're going to win, but I, I don't think it'll be a complete beatdown. Something like 30-14 to 14 sounds about right in this one. Uh, 9.50 p.m. on FS1, Sam Houston travels to BYU. BYU's a 20-point favorite. I mean, this is one of the scrappier teams that anybody's playing in this first week out of the Big 12, honestly. I mean, other than West Virginia, obviously, he's got freaking top 10 Penn State, and Houston's got UTSA, but... Um, you know, I guess TCU Colorado could be up there depending on how they look. But, you know, Sam Houston's no pushover. They're going to fight you, if anything. Um, but, yeah, give me BYU in Provo. First, you know, launch of the Big 12 season for, for them. I think there's going to be a lot of excitement. So they win. But, yeah, Texas State's going to leave a mark or two, I think. Yeah. Sam, I mean, Sam Houston, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, Sam Houston's an intriguing team. But I, I think 
BYU is going to win that game. Something it's like be late. Yeah, thirty to yeah. ten. I think it'll be somewhat close, but BYU is just far better. Um, and then the final game, the Baylor game, six p.m. on ESPN Plus. Uh, Texas State travels to Waco to take on Baylor. Baylor currently is a twenty-seven and a half point favorite. The over/under is sixty-two points. Who you got, Craig? I'll go Baylor. Um, I think that it'll be you know a convincing win and one where you're able to breathe, hopefully easy uh, as the game progresses. But um, you know. Should see a good amount of fight, at least early on. Um, but, yeah, I think eventually they separate, and we get to see a bunch of different faces. And, um, yeah, I'm going with the Bears comfortably here. Yeah, the line just jumped up to 28, actually, which means a lot of the money is going towards Baylor this week. And I, I would take Baylor as well. I, I think Baylor's going to win this game rather easily. They got too much uh, firepower on the outside, too many big guys up front, I think, for Texas State to deal with on the offense line, defense line. I think they control uh, in the trenches, and they win this game rather easily, even though Texas State, I think, will show some flashes on the offensive side. But I like the Bears pretty big. Uh, something along the lines of 56-20, to 20, I, I think the Bears get the job done. They can score that many points. I think that'd be a, a welcome, you know, sign for a lot of fans out there um, to see them, you know, uh, cause the scoreboard to go a little crazy in Week One. That'd be fun. And look, this is uh, outside of Week Three, their their best chance at, at getting wins uh, here. You know, outside of of who they'll face uh, in Week Three, which is uh, Long Island. Long Island. Um, but, you know, beyond that, there's not a lot of gimmies on this schedule, so you better take advantage of the games you're expected or favored in, and that is certainly the case here where they are big favorites and, and you expect them to, to handle their business to how they do it and to what extent. That will be the things that we unpack next week and discuss in depth. But, man, just glad it's here. Uh, Baylor opening the season against Texas State this Saturday at 6 o'clock in McLean Stadium on ESPN+. Plus. So, um, let the countdown continue, and uh, man, let's uh, all celebrate the fact that college football's back, and let's all have a lot of fun this weekend as well. That's going to do it for us. A lot of info and talk uh, jam-packed into a little over an hour, and that's what we'll be doing every Tuesday at 11.15 for those who want to catch us live on YouTube, and then also at any time uh, on YouTube or on the Sikkim 365 app for Apple users and on the website and so on and so forth. You can catch us on all your favorite podcast uh, apps as well. Um, but man, um, just glad to be where we are in the calendar now and cannot wait to unpack whatever happens this Saturday, both in Waco and beyond. Uh, Grayson, anything before we go here? No, just be sure to check out Sikkim 365 Premium side, especially during the season. We're going to have all kinds of content, news, notes, nuggets, uh, just keeping you up to date with Baylor sports and be sure to check out 365 Sports Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. Yep, uh, we'll have a lot to unpack on that show as well, daily and uh Man, what an off-season it was, but uh, now we've got all of those topics still kind of continuing on in some ways, um, but a new Big 12 debuting this weekend after a long and highly anticipated wait, not to mention all of the rest of the fun stuff going on across the country, and uh, that'll include LSU and Florida State, which Garrett Ross will have uh, eyes on, uh, to be sure, along with millions of others this Sunday. So, man, fun weekends in store. We will talk to you next Tuesday. Thanks to Jack McKenzie. Thanks to Garrett Ross behind the scenes. Thanks to you for watching. And for Grayson Grunhafer, I'm Craig Smoke. This has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com.